in the smoldering twilight of Hyronia, where the echoes of a catastrophic post-apocalyptic disaster still linger. TIE Fighter and T-Bone once again materialized with an iridescent glow from the portal from which they were propelled. With their resplendent figures adorned with Buddy Holly's iconic eye spectacles and the Big Bopper's wristed timepiece, both champions fell from exhaustion. Freya, the mystic seer, had sent our heroes on a quest to restore hope to the desolate lands and instructed each man to replevy certain treasures in order to awaken the mysteries locked inside the altar of Jabbar. Approaching the sanctum of the seer, a foreboding realization gripped their mighty hearts. For the entrance lay ajar, and within that chamber once resonated with ancient wisdom was now a chaotic tableau of overturned relics and shattered crystals. Freya, the venerable seer, who guided them across temporal boundaries, was nowhere to be found, and a shadow fell upon the barbarians as they recognized the unmistakable signs of foul play. As the Lionheart surveyed the desecrated sanctum, a whisper of chilling winds spoke of an ominous return. They surmised that an evil warlord banished long ago had once again risen to thwart their mission. Determined to find Freya and retrieve the relics that held the key to restoring hope, TIE Fighter and T-Bone set forth into the unforgiving, tempestuous wormhole. The very air crackled with a sense of urgency as they embarked on a quest to face the malevolent force threatening to plunge Hyronia into eternal darkness forever. Find out what high adventure awaits in Time Barbarians of the 1980s. In time! opening up the door to the DeLorean <laughs> because we <It's> hit <laughs> we've hit 88 yes. and we have landed in March 1980 1980 Doc can you hear me uh, <laughs> oh man um, yeah we're back March March 1980 uh, this is almost as good in cinema. It's been so long since I've done that one before. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, but hey, uh, you're listening to Pump Action Podcast, and we are your guides. I like that, right? <laughs> guides uh, on this uh, merry, ad- yeah, your spirit guides on this merry adventure of March 1980. Uh, I'm Ty Fighter. This is T-Bone, and you are listening to the Pump Action Podcast, History of the 1980s. History of the 1980s. This is really fun to do, because there's a lot of stuff that I have, I'm have. i learning, um, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I've forgotten about, and um, a lot of stuff, like, it's cool, like, when you open up cans of worms like that, memories just come flooding back, Yeah, and it's it's really cool to kind of tap into those, some of those things I forgot about, so... Um, 
But yeah, yeah, so here we are. We're looking out at the the wasteland. <laughs> we see arcades in the in the distance. That's right. Uh, what else do you see? I see a. Uh, uh, Dennis the Menace, uh, Dairy Queen. I remember <laughs> we had a Dairy Queen by my house, and it had Dennis the Menace cups. And uh, I remember my grandpa used to take me. He's like, you always got to get a hot dog and a root beer. Like, I wasn't allowed to get anything else. He called these like, this is the Dennis the Menace special. <laughs> my grandpa loved Dennis the Menace. So hot dog and a root beer. Take me to the arcade. Yeah, Crank some uh, Doobie Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't bootleg them. Don't, yeah. I don't know if you remember. Um, there's a very special episode of What's Happening where a rerun got caught bootlegging the Doobie Boys concert. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember that? No. Oh, my God. Yeah. I watched way too much MeTV. So yeah. anyway, what do we got for, for March All right. 1980? This is a big month. It's March 1980. The, uh, the 80s are starting to pick up a little speed here. That's right. The cocaine is getting <laughs> cleaner. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's begin with movies and TV. Oh, that's my favorite. Or TV and movies. We seem to be starting with TV. Yes. March 16th was the first regularly scheduled use of closed captioning on American television on the ABC network. This was done by use of a separate closed captioning device that was attached to your TV set. The device cost $249.99, which was almost $1,000 in 2023 dollars. That is insane. uh, A few other networks got on board with this, and uh, CBS did not Ah. because they were like, the technology is going to advance too fast for this device to be worth it. They were probably correct on that, I would say. They. They called that one right. They so, did. They did. Um, I don't even remember those devices when I was a kid. Like, I don't either. They were probably gone by the mid-80s. Yeah. Faded away. Yeah. Like uh, some of the other things yeah. in the 80s. The show that premiered this new technology was a showing of the, on the Wonderful World of Disney. Do you know what it was? I do know. It was a showing of the 1963 film Son of Flubber. Son of Flubber. (laughs) You're going to waste it on that. At least if you're going to do a, uh, you might as well do The Absent-Minded Professor, which is way better. (laughs) Or Flubber. Or just Flubber, yeah. Well, I guess maybe that wasn't around, but yeah. uh, Yeah, that's kind of a waste. Son of Flubber was such a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, interesting technology. Uh, Closed captioning device, I guess, kind of didn't last long. The uh, season finale of Dallas premiered on March 21st on CBS, where J.R. Ewing is shot by an unseen assassin. This prompted the marketing campaign, Who Shot J.R., which became an international phenomenon. Uh, The episode also helped popularize the TV cliffhanger ending. Yes. Um, I never watched the show, but it wasn't... They didn't resolve the thing until like eight months later. So. Yeah, I just, I never, I mean, I just was aware of it because right. you couldn't escape it. It was everywhere. Even throughout the 80s and oh, 90s, God. it was still it was a like, thing. It was like, where's the beef? Like, it was one of those things where it was on t-shirts, it was on bumper stickers, it was on coffee mugs, ashtrays. Like, there's any place that you went, you could not escape mm-hmm. the Who Shot JR. I never watched Dallas, but I remember we had the board game. Um <laughs> And it was like kind of like Monopoly, I think, yeah. if I memory serves correctly. Um, only it was with oil fields and you know shit like that. But um, yeah, golly, who shot Jr. was yep. huge. Probably for uh, 
our generation and younger, the the Simpsons arc, who yeah. shot Mr. Burns. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. total, like, that's why that that episode, or that story arc exists. Yeah. Because of this. Yeah. March 24th, the ABC News program, The Iran Crisis, America Held Hostage, is rebranded as Nightline. Oh. Which is still around. Still around, yeah, still around. Uh, The World of Strawberry Shortcake debuted on March 28th. It was so popular, it spawned five sequels and a television series. Uh, You had a couple more notes on that, Uh, didn't you? Just like, yeah, that's pretty much it. I just remember as a kid, like, I always wanted strawberry shortcake dolls because... Damn if those things didn't smell good. They did. Yeah. They did. And like my the good old girls at school would like bring them and they, I remember they had like the muffin man and like blueberry one and like I just remember like why do they have toys that smell so good and we have you know moss man who smells like like a yeah. pine cone <laughs> you know, like, like a car like a car freshener like air freshener or steam yeah, they, or. the uh, the property was invented in i think 73 yes yeah, it said 73 and is when it originally um came out but it wasn't really developed into a toy line until it was that for greeting cards wasn't it uh, or, probably it, that that seems or, about right yeah, yeah. it's probably kind of like um a lot of those greeting card yeah like ziggy and um that was kind of big back then and yeah. um Maybe it could even have started as a comic strip in the newspaper. Who knows? Yeah, so greeting cards does sound right. Came out in '73, and that's that's a pretty good run for a children's property. 1973 yeah. throughout the '80s. Yeah, because a lot of like those world, like those not world famous, but like those really iconic television shows, really only lasted like like Scooby Doo yeah. and like the things that we like, you know, um, like not Herbie the Love Bug, but Buggy. What was the the Wonder Bug? Um, stuff like that it only lasted like one or two seasons, yeah. but it stayed with us for like forever. All right. Some uh, TV shows that debuted in March of 1980 include That's Incredible, a reality show that featured people performing stunts and retellings of paranormal events. Um, you said you had some something you wanted to. Yeah, say I just remember first. watching that as a kid, and there were some episodes that we weren't allowed to watch <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I don't know. I think the paranormal parts, like my parents didn't want us watching things like that. Um, and then there was a lot of, if memory serves correctly, there was a lot of like a few risque type stories on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember, but there was like one comedian on there that really kind of told body like blue off color jokes or, right. you know, innuendo laden jokes. <laughs> Take and, my wife, please. Yeah, no, no respect. Um, but anyway, we weren't really allowed to watch like every episode. Um, but yeah, it was, it says it was very controversial, um, I guess because, um, it was copied another television show that was on NBC called real people, which I don't remember that show, but I do remember that's incredible because John Davidson, that freaking smile that he had, that dimple (laughs) and that luscious head of hair. Like he was a golden child. He was a a God in a suit, in in a polyester suit. Some more TV shows that came out March 1980, Beyond Westworld, based on the 1973 film Westworld. Sanford, a sequel to the popular 70s show Sanford and Son. I did not even know that was a show. The Tim Conway Show. And the sitcom Flow, a spinoff of the popular sitcom Alice, which in turn was based off of the 1974 Martin Scorsese film, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yes, I did know that. And I do remember Flo, because I remember she left the show, and that was yeah. like a big 
deal. Like when she left, like, oh, that show's going to get canceled now. Because, <laughs> like, the best part of it, because she was the, the sassy, you know, like, kiss yeah. my grits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was like the hot piece on that show. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember that, like, everybody was in love with Flo. You know what I mean? So, the big movie news this month was the 53rd Annual Academy Awards on March 31st. The Robert Redford-directed Ordinary People captured Best Film, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Robert De Niro won Best Actor for Raging Bull. Sissy Spacek won Best Actress for Coal Miner's Daughter. Yes. Other Oscars went to such films as Fame, Melvin and Howard, and The Empire Strikes Back. Hell yeah, it did. Which won an award for Best Sound and a Special Achievement for Best Visual Effects. How could it not win Best Score? Did they have that back know. then? Uh, yeah, they had to have. I wonder what was nominated for Best Score, because what could be better than The Empire Strikes Back soundtrack? Yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. Some movies that were released in March of 1980 include the aforementioned Coal Miner's Daughter on March 7th. Love that film. A re-release of Disney's Lady and the Tramp, uh, also on March 7th. On March 28th, uh, the horror film The Changeling. (laughs) And a comedy documentary about Gilda Radner entitled Gilda Live, also on March 28th. Was she still alive then? Uh, I don't know. Okay. There's another movie that came out that I remember with Christy McNichol called Little Darlings. Mm -hmm. Um which is it's one of those movies that like oh kids are in it so you should just watch your like your kids watch this and at the time like we didn't even think of you know, like what they're even trying to do um it's sort of like grease um you just like we love the music and we love the time period but the subject matter is like horrendous <laughs> if you want to talk about a horrendous um uh plot for a film watch little darlings first of all it's a great film but you have to keep an, an open mind while you watch it because what it is about is, and I remember watching it because I think we all had crushes on Christine McNichol at one point in our lives. Um, it's about two girls who go to summer camp. I think they're probably 13, 14, maybe 15, if memory serves correctly. They're trying to have a contest of who can lose their virginity first. <laughs> March, 1980. Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the 80s. Oh, yeah, you would get arrested for making a film like that now. Yeah. With actual teenagers. Like... <laughs> God, like, Prissy McNichol couldn't have been 12. It was just, like, the taxi driver, you know, um, yeah. with Jodie Foster. Like, but God, the bless America. The stuff that Hollywood was doing at the Brooke Shields back then. Yeah, that too. Blue criminal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Literally criminal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, all right. That's for another podcast. Yeah, though. yeah. Not yeah, ours. Yeah. <laughs> Not ours. <laughs> we like oily men. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute now. <laughs> The number one film for the first week of March was The Fog, now in its fifth week of release. Hell yeah, The Fog. All That Jazz took number one for the second week of March in its 12th week week of release. The number one film in the third week of March was Coal Miner's Daughter. Wow. And in its 14th week of release... Taking back the top spot for the final week in March was Kramer versus Kramer. That it was must have been a. I remember it being a big film, but I had no idea yeah. like how huge that film yeah. was. Coal Miner's Daughter. We watched that endlessly. That like places in the heart, <laughs> sweet dreams. Um, 
what was some other ones that we watched? That was like a staple at my grandma's house. Like yeah. we watched Coal Miner's Daughter. I, and it still, it still is just as fantastic. Sissy Spacek became Loretta Lynn and, um, uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot his name. Tommy, um, Tommy Lee Jones as, mm-hmm. um, do is, I mean, a, such a scumbag in that movie, but you still kind of root for him. Um, if you've not ever seen Coal Miner's Daughter, do yourself a favor, watch it, and then buy the soundtrack because I have the soundtrack and my, it's one of the few albums that survived my childhood. Um, I have that. I have um, my storybook of Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> and I have my Empire Strikes Back um, and then I also have the wrestling album. Those are like the records that like I, that somehow survived my childhood, <laughs> but the soundtrack is is a banger too so love coal miner's daughter all right big news on the home front walt disney enters the home video market on (laughs) march 4th with betamax and vhs releases of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea the apple dumpling gang bed knobs and broomsticks the black hole davy crockett escape to witch mountain hot lead and cold feet the Love Bug, The North Avenue Irregulars, and Pete's Dragon. Wow. All the live actions. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. You got any you have any more movie or uh, oh, TV tidbits you want to mention? Oh, where are we at here on uh let's see got the Yeah, so Forbidden Zone. That's a weird movie if you've never seen that. <laughs> um, that that also came out. Um, Little Darlings I already talked about. Tom Horn with Steve McQueen. Um, that also came out um, March 1980, but um, yeah, that's all I got. I do remember um, the Disney films that came out. Um, that was one of the things that we were allowed to rent, you know. And for some reason, we felt obligated to rent them. Um, they had the huge, giant white clamshell cases. Yeah. Um, Pete's Dragon. I do remember seeing and renting that. Um, I do remember renting um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea and being a hundred percent bored by it. <laughs> I remember Escape to Witch Mountain kind of scared the shit out of me. Like the last like thirty minutes of it is fantastic. Um, what was Apple Dumpling Gang? Was that uh, uh, oh Mr. Furley a Roper? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Don Knotts. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's in that. Um, I'm surprised though that like um, uh, some of the older ones like Absent Mind the Professor because I remember that being big. And then Follow Me Boys with Fred McMurray. I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> Uh-huh. And then Toby, Toby Tyler joins the circus. That was like another big one in my house that we watched. Yeah, we had a old yeller. Like, yeah. we had a lot of those Disney live action ones when I was a kid. So, yeah, and now yeah. I know why. Cause yeah. That's all they released. That's all they released. released for, yeah. yeah, I remember they also had like Treasure Island. I think yeah. um, there's a few others. Swiss Family Robinson. I think was another one they did. All right, getting into some music. March 1980, the music world. On March 3rd, Sotheby's Auction House auctioned off a Riviera Hotel napkin signed by Elvis Presley for 500 pounds. Other items at the auction included some dollar bills signed by the Beatles and some personal letters belonging to the Rolling Stones. Wow. On March 14th, record producer Quincy Jones got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. On March 19th, Elvis Presley's autopsy was subpoenaed for a trial involving Dr. George Nicopolis. Dr. Nick. Who was... <laughs> Hi, everybody! <laughs> who was later found guilty of over-prescribing drugs to Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis, among other clients. I do believe that that's who Dr. Nick from The Simpsons oh, really? is based off of, yeah. I never, yeah. I never heard of that guy. Yeah. 
And uh, Elvis died, I believe, three years prior to this. Yeah, so 76? 77, you're right, 77. Yeah. I didn't know there was still legal stuff going on with him mm-hmm. in 80. Some of the albums that were released in March of 1980 include Billy Joel's Glass Houses, On Through the Night by Def Leppard, Patti LaBelle's Released, Jermaine Jackson's Let's Get Serious, Keeping the Summer Alive by the Beach Boys, Van Halen's Women and Children First, Hell yeah. Duke by Genesis, Lost in Love by Air Supply, and Animal Magnetism by Scorpions. God, the Scorpions rocked my face <laughs> off. I love the Scorpions so much, and that is a fantastic <laughs> album. And that's the one where it's like um, he has his hand in his back pocket. All of their their album covers are like so suggestive. Yeah, I um, mean, you didn't realize it at the time, but like she's like, there's this woman like on her hands and knees, like in front right. of this guy. He's got his hand in his back pocket, and she's like <laughs> looking up at him, and you know what's getting ready to happen. But wow, like I love that album so much. But yeah. All right, tearing up the rock charts. Yes. In March 1980, include top 40 hits such as The Forest by The Cure, Breakdown Dead Ahead by Boz Skaggs, Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer by Kenny Rogers and Kim Carnes, Funky Town by Lips Inc., Hurt, by, Hurt So Bad by Linda Rodstadt, and You May Be Right by Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. You got any other music news oh, for hell us? Oh, yeah, I've got one All album right. or one, one single that ripped up the charts. <laughs> Judas Priest, Living After Midnight, also came out in March 1980. Um, and then uh, as far as like the metal scene, Saxon, Wheels of Steel came out. Now, Wheel, if you don't know Saxon, first of all, shame on you. And second of all, um, it was one of those albums that like just dripped with masculinity at the time. Right. And now you go back and li- listen to like like denim and demons and stuff like that. You're like, or de- demon and denim, or what is it? Demons and denim and like stuff like that. And you're like, Ooh, like that could actually be taken a whole other way. <laughs> but, um, wheels of steel is a fantastic album from start to finish. And that is, um, another good one. Um, and then there's a punk band called discharge that also came out with a, one of their classics, um, way back in March, 1980 called realities of war, which is more like a hardcore, you know, punk rock album. So, um, but yeah, that's all I got for, all right, let's put our our serious glasses on now. Yes. Open up our newspapers. We open up this briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about some politics and current events. Yes. March 1st, the Voyager 1 probe confirmed the existence of Janus, a moon of Saturn. Uh, Voyager 1 and 2, I believe, are both still operational. Wow, really? I didn't know that. Um, they have, one or both have left the solar system completely. Oh, really? But they're still sending back some kind of signals. No shit, that's crazy. Insane. Yeah. The very first showbiz pizza place was opened on March 3rd. Yeah, it was. Several years later, showbiz would acquire the Chuck E. Cheese brand before eventually renaming all their restaurants to Chuck E. Cheese. I had we had a showbiz and I had my birthday party at the showbiz pizza um, back in the day. There was a showbiz. Well, coincidentally enough, right across the street from the Dairy Queen, where I was only allowed to get a hot dog and a root beer. Never got ice cream there um, or a dip cone, but uh, they had a showbiz there in the corner, right next to an arcade. And um, I remember the band, and that was back when they had uh, was it the the Rock a Fire Explosion. They had the whole <laughs> band there. Uh, 
the pizza was wonderful. The tokens, the the games, the prizes. Oh my god. Kids today, you don't know what you didn't have. Yeah. <laughs> it was such an experience <laughs> to have your birthday at Showbiz Pizza. It was yeah. awesome. Um, I feel like we mentioned this on some other episode, but uh, do you know what Chuck E. Cheese's full name is? I do not. Officially, his, the, this is real. His official full name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. <laughs> really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to get into the... Um, Pizza. When I got the idea from, have you ever been to Incredible Pizza? Um, it's very. It's got a thinly veiled Christian um, under underling. I guess mm-hmm. it's like it's very like there's Bible verses. That I don't know if people realize that or not. So I thought, wow, what would just capitalize on that instead of just you know kind of like trying to hide that fact? Uh-huh. Let's cater to that market, and we'll name it Jesus H Crust. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, not Jesus, Jesus, Jesus H crust. Yes. And they would have, you know, like um the the, the Bible band or whatever. They right. would sing like in all the old classics, uh you know, this little light of mine <laughs> and Jesus loves me and you know, I don't know. Well maybe not because we're trying to hide that a little bit. So Jesus Jesus loves me and this little pie of mine <laughs> or <Yeah>. something. <laughs> Nobody steal that idea. All right. Well, speaking of being inappropriate with children, uh, John Wayne Gacy, convicted of 33 counts of murder on March 12th, the jury deliberated for less than two hours and recommended a death sentence. He was executed in 1994. Wow. March 13th, a jury acquitted the Ford Motor Company in the first criminal trial in the U.S. of a corporation for homicide. Three teenagers were killed in 1978 when the Ford Pinto they were driving was struck from behind, resulting in a fiery crash. Oh, that's right. And that was the butt of jokes for, like, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And it's also uh, even a joke, I don't know if anybody was aware of that, in Wayne's world, because he has a Pinto, and it's got flames on the back of it. <laughs> and the reason why, if anybody doesn't know, is the idiot that designed the car put the gas tank in the back. And so you filled it up, like you would flip your uh, license plate down, and you would fill up in the back. So if you were ever in a like fender bender, it would just crack your gas tank, and gas would pour out all over the place, <laughs> which is easily ignitable. So that was kind of the, the joke behind Oh, not should say joke, but that was kind of the reason behind all of that. Yeah, I should, yeah, I should say the joke was not that those people were killed, but the joke was that, like, you know, the Pinto would, barely tap a tree or something and then it and would explode. explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. March 14th, President Jimmy Carter abolished three government agencies. These included the United States Assay Commission that was first formed in 1792, the U.S. Marine Corps Memorial Commission, and the Low Emission Vehicle Certification Board. Oh. Uh, President Carter announced on May tw- or March 21st that the United States would be boycotting the 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow. And on March 22nd, the Georgia Guidestones were erected in Georgia. The Guidestones were popular conspiracy theory fodder for decades before being heavily damaged in a bombing in 2022 and then completely removed less than a day later. I remember that. <laughs> Were yeah. they like black, like 
almost like, I want to say Stonehenge-y, but... Yeah, it was like a little tiny Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, but it was kind of... But weren't they like black, like onyx or something like that? I, I remember. don't remember. I do remember that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's some uh, little politics, current events. You got anything else for us? Oh, let's see. Before we I get got. into sports. Let's get into some sports action. I don't believe I have anything on politics um, other than, well, that's not... Nope, that's it. Yep, you basically <laughs> covered it. Well, we're a couple of nerds, so we don't have much to talk about sports, but the Association of Tennis Professionals named John McEnroe the number one tennis player in the world on March 3rd, a title which he would hold for the next 170 out of 260 weeks. Wow. Yeah. It was in. I remember him <laughs> always arguing with the line judge and like, that ball was in. Yeah. Anyway. So I, th- I believe you have some sports. I only have one me. little tidbit here. Um, for those tough guys out there, um, these old bar room brawlers, uh, <laughs> people that like fisticuffs, um, the very first tough guy contest, which was um, kind of like a precursor to um, uh, MMA, MMA or, or UFC, um, was organized um, by the CV Productions. Um, uh, it was... The very first government sanctioned, I'm going to say MMA tournament, even though it didn't really have anything to do with with MMA or anything like that. Um, basically, what you did was, um, if you thought you were tough, you paid a fee and then you went and fought. <laughs> <laughs> and you had like these giant 16 ounce gloves on. I don't even think they had headgear or anything like that. And then you would kind of fight in like this tournament style. Um, no weight classes. <laughs> um, so a 130 pound guy could easily be in the ring with a 400 pound guy. Um, the fights were held at a Holiday Inn um, in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was held over three days. There was 42 contestants that entered the very first tournament. Were you ever lucky enough to see a tough man contest? No. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Way back when the Tulsa Convention Center was still a thing, they held a tough man contest there. And it was the greatest most hilarious thing that I have ever seen in my life. Um, as I just said, there was no weight classes. This was a one-night tournament. There was probably 25 fighters. They were housed in what they called a bullpen, and it was down like by the stage. Um, they would announce the fighters, and the Rocky theme would play. These guys were probably half drunk. Um, they they had sixteen ounce gloves, which are just like basically like boppet pillows, just huge gloves. The very first thing is, man, this guy. They play the Rocky theme. They call his name. It's a skinny guy. I probably weighed one sixteen, one thirty, probably tops. Was probably about six one. Just, I mean, he is. Just amped up. I mean, the <laughs> adrenaline is going. He's just jumping up and down. He's like throwing punches. Like, and this is on his way to the ring. <laughs> and he gets ready to get in the ring. And he's going to jump over the top rope. And he jumps over the top rope. And his foot catches. Oh, no. And he flips. And he lands on his back. And we just died laughing. And the guy like jumped up. And I mean, it was a mess. <laughs> so there was like three two-minute rounds, I think it was. Um, a lot of serious knockouts like there was they these, some of these guys had to have had concussions because it was brutal um some of them were it was like action for like 30 seconds and then they all gas 
and the rest of it's just <laughs> like you know what I mean like yeah um so yeah tough guy contests were awesome they actually uh, Mr. T got his start I believe in tough guy competitions huh. um you know around that circuit in Chicago because they had like a national organization as well that kind of you know this one was yeah like the Tulsa tough guy competition and I remember when I was a kid, I was just like, I think I could win that. Like, cause like I knew, you know, like I, all you have to do is just be in shape. You right. know what I mean? Like, and you can just, you know, if you can just go three, two minute rounds, like that's all you need. Cause most of <laughs> these guys were like hell for like 45 seconds. And then that was it. They had nothing in the tank, but yeah, tough guy contest, big part of the eighties. I don't even think they do those anymore now just for legal reasons. Right. Um, but no, no professionals, hundred percent amateurs. Guys that sat on their couches drinking beer saying, I'm tougher than that guy. <laughs> well, I could do that, you know. Um, but yeah, tough guy contest. That's all I got for sports. <laughs> all right. Moving on to a uh, little video game news here for you. March 10th saw the release of Space Invaders for the Atari 2600. Wow. It sold over a million units in its first year of release, and it quadrupled sales of the 2600. It was the best-selling uh, best-selling Atari game until the release of Pac-Man for the console two years later. Space Invaders sold over 6 million cartridges between 1980 and 1990, and most of those were sold by 1983. Dang. Huge game. I do remember having the Atari 2600 and having Space Invaders. Yeah. And I just remember... Yeah, there were, uh, <laughs> there were literally national and international competitions for space invaders on the 2600 no kidding yeah i didn't realize that's that. how big it was um all right let's i got a couple famous births and deaths okay actress and comedian rebel wilson was born on march 2nd oh okay actress laura prepon known for that 70s show and orange is the new black born on march 7th on uh, March 5th, Jay Silverheels died at the age of 67. Ah. He was best known for playing Tonto on the original Lone Ranger TV series from 1949 to 1957. Yes. Silverheels was born in Canada on the Six Nations of the Grand River to a Mohawk mom and Seneca dad. Yes. Did you have any other notes on him? Uh, yeah, I do. I actually did a podcast all about him. Oh, yeah? Um, so... Um, I did. I covered. I, I covered the film called The Legend of the Lone Ranger, which was back in the '80s, and I really kind of covered the history of um, the Lone Ranger. First of all, uh, it started out as a radio program, and that began like in the '20s. And it was always uh, Tonto was always played by a white guy. Yeah. So Silverheels was actually the very first Native American to portray that Native American character, and. Um, so we, ha I have that, and then also um, the name Silverheels. He was a huge hockey player. Like he was possibly, if he had not gone into acting, um, probably would have played professional hockey because he was from Canada, yeah. and that was his nickname on um, the ice hockey rink was Silverheels. Yeah, he was a he was a almost professional level athlete. Yeah, and that's how he got discovered for some. I don't remember who a director or an agent saw him or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's where he got the name Silverheel. So we kind of took that as a stage name. I also do know that he organized um, one of the very first like Native American Actors Guild um, mm -hmm. by putting together like a directory of like all these Native actors and directors. Um, of course, Hollywood didn't care because <laughs> they, they, I mean, they still like put people in red face for 
decades. I mean, yeah. even in, even to the to the. I mean, well, hell. I mean, even the Lone Ranger. Like he. I mean, anyway, it was just him and then Michael. Uh, what was his name? Michael Horse, I think is his name. Um, played Tonto in Legend of the Lone Ranger. Those are the only two Native Americans that have ever portrayed that character. Because Johnny Depp says he's Native American, but there's nothing <laughs> substantial to back that up. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking of athletes, uh, Jesse Owens, who won four gold medals at the Berlin Olympics in 1936, died on March 31st. Yeah, American hero for sure. Famously, was the Olympics where Hitler was in the audience uh, when he was yeah. still lawful evil and not chaotic evil. <laughs> right, 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 right. I don't think he's didn't he not stand like at the, when he won the the gold like supposedly like Hitler like didn't stand and like Yeah, left. it was kind of a I guess a big deal that there was a black guy yeah uh winning all this gold at the the right. Berlin that I guess it was the Nazi party by then. Yeah, it would yeah. have been the Nazi party. Uh yeah, Jesse Owens was black if we didn't if you didn't know that, and we didn't say he was yeah. black. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. You got any more births or deaths or any other topics? <sighs> no, March nineteen eighty. 1980s with the we we kind of talked a little bit about Dallas being like um, huge on television, and one of the things that Dallas did bring about was not only um, the Who Shot Jr., but it also made its mark in the fashion world because it was around this point that women began what we now refer to as power dressing. And if you don't know what power dressing is, um, it's like it's, it's like women began establishing authority um, by kind of adopting um, what had usually been traditional male clothing, power suits. Um, probably the most popular thing, um, power dressing, was the skirt and the jacket and um, the little suit top, I guess. Um, so that became popular as well as shoulder pads mm -hmm. also became a huge fashion um, accessory um, for, for, for you ladies out there that are all listening, which is probably zero. But <laughs> I like to think that we have a, a large contingency of, of women out there listening. And so now people always wondered where that came from. It came from the Dallas TV show because that's how they were dressing on Dallas. So, but yeah, that's about all I got. So. All right, well, uh, we will continue this yeah. series with April 1980. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll 80s just... are starting to pick up speed here. Yeah, so we'll be, yeah, that, this is, a, like I said, it's a lot of fun. So I guess we'll pull the DeLorean over here to the to the old Phillips 66. <laughs> <laughs> Flip down the uh, the license plate. And I'll fill refill up. the plutonium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fill it up with some unleaded gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the rear and uh, yeah plug our flux capacitator back in and then we'll uh, head off back to, uh, to to the year 2023 um, so until next time um, you can follow us on pump action underscore podcast on Instagram and if we missed anything you know or something that you feel that we should have discussed or talked about let us know I'm, I, I'm not the best at checking messages every day I'm not obsessed with social media as some people are, so it's not anything that I feel like I need to spend my life on. But I do check it probably once or twice a day at least, um, just kind of um, 
time killer more than anything else. But if there's anything that we missed or anything you'd like to talk about or any films or movies from the time period, um, definitely would like to do Mad Max. Well, that's that's definitely a mainstay. But anyway, so yeah, uh, we're coming up on the Halloween season as well. Um, so we, we're going to be giving you some workout tips to you know burn off some of that Halloween candy. Uh, maybe instead of uh, candy corn, you can make some, a more healthier version. I don't know. We've got a lot, a lot in the cauldron, I guess. <laughs> so it's we're, we're we're brewing a stew. Yeah, yeah we're, we're we're boiling a stew up. But uh, until then, um, I am Tie Fighter. This is T Bone, and we'll catch you next time.